I love a great story. And I bet you do too. I mean, that's why we read books. That's why we go to movies. That's why we watch Netflix and binge watch shows episode after episode after episode. That's why we even go back and watch movies that we've seen before. We re-watch shows that we watched years ago. We love great stories. I love stories with action and suspense, unexpected twists and turns, and man, I didn't see that coming. Whoa, boy, I would have never expected that. That's what makes a great story. I love stories with tragedy. A lot of great stories begin with tragedy. I love stories that don't just end in tragedy, though. They end with some kind of triumph and a hero. Doesn't everybody love a hero? I love heroes. And boy, don't we all love happy endings? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't love a good happy ending? I even like stories with cliffhangers where it just kind of leaves you hanging. Not, not all the time. I mean, you can only take so much, but you know, it just kind of leaves you hanging right there at the end. And, and you know why I'm okay with that? And you know why you're okay with that? And we're okay with that in great storytelling because a good cliffhanger lets you know, especially in the movie world, there's going to be a sequel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We just love great stories. Well, if you love great stories, then you're going to love this series we're starting today called Overboard. Because in this series called Overboard, we are going to be talking about a truly great story. The story of Jonah from the Old Testament. A story that dates all the way back to around 750 B.C. So this is an old story. A story that has been told over and over and over and over again and talked about so much both inside church and religious circles, and even outside religious circles. One of the most debated stories in all of the Bible. Actually, it's one of the most questioned stories in the Bible. Not just what's happening in the story, but whether or not the story ever really happened. Can, can you believe that? Can you believe that story is so far-fetched, it's so fantastic, it's so out there? Did it really even happen? We're going to touch on some of that. And we're going to unpack this story together. And when we're done in the next three weeks, and this is a short three-week series, so stick around for all three weeks, if you will. At the end of this three weeks, we're going to have learned something, not just about the story of Jonah. We're going to have learned some things about God, and we're going to have learned some things about ourselves. We realize we're a whole lot more like Jonah than we might want to admit. So what I want to do is dive right into some of the highlights. We can't go through all the details um, because we just don't have that much time. But we're going to go through enough of them to kind of give you the lay of the land and the kind of the, the flow of the story. Um, and, and kind of like that video you watched right before um, I started speaking to you, we're going to kind of tease that out a little bit and uh, dive right in to the story of Jonah. So let's get started. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now Jonah, son of Amittai, was living in the area in the land of Israel and God told him to go to this city that was northeast of him, Nineveh. Now Nineveh, for our 
points and purposes today is in modern-day Iraq. In fact, northeastern Iraq in the Mosul, M-O-S-U-L, I think that's the right way to pronounce that, Mosul area of Iraq. That's where Nineveh would have been in 750 B.C. So this is a, a good ways from where he was. And God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And the reason I want you to go there, I have a message for them. I have a warning for them because they are evil. And it's not just like, hey, they did a few things wrong. No, they had a reputation, barbaric, evil, some pretty nasty stuff that they were all about and you know involved in. And it had kind of been this way for a while. And God was like, they, they, they need to change. They need to make some changes. And Jonah, you're going to be my guy to go let this city know that they need to make some changes. Here we go. Here's what happened next. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. We'll come back to that because that's fascinating. He went down to the port of Joppa, and Joppa was uh, right there, a port in the southern area of Israel, right on the Mediterranean Sea. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, and he bought a ticket, and he went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, here's the deal. You ought to get out a map and, and look at this. Not that you'll be able to see where Tarshish is. I'm going to tell you where it is. Tarshish was in southern Spain. It's what now would be southern Spain. So when you look at a map and you've got the Mediterranean Sea and you've got Joppa here on, on the east, the far east end of the Mediterranean, when you're looking at a map here on the coast of Israel, and then he was going to go to Tarshish? All the way past Greece, all the way past Italy, all the way, all the way to the far western part of the Mediterranean, southern part of what now is Spain. That's a long way to try to get away. Look at these words again. He went up the opposite direction to try to get away from the Lord. I mean, how do you do that? He tried to escape from the Lord. I guess he thought if I went to the opposite end of the Mediterranean, then I could get to a place where God was not. I just think that's very odd. And, and you might go, yeah, that's silly. Why would someone do that? Well, you'll be surprised as we'll see in a couple of weeks. You and I do some odd things too to try to get away from the Lord. So interesting. Let's keep going. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. So now Jonah's in the ship on his way to Tarshish. He's thinking, man, I slipped past the Lord. I kind of pulled a fast one over on him. He didn't see it coming. And he thought I'm going here and I'm not going here. I'm going to go so far away that God will just kind of look the other way or maybe he'll forget or he'll send somebody else or, or something like that. And the Lord's like, no, no. No, Jonah, we're not going not gonna to get off so easily, buddy. I'm not done with you yet. And so God sent a storm for the ship, and he's, you know, trying to get Jonah's attention. If you read the story, you'll find out Jonah is asleep in the bottom of this ship. Well, the guys on board are freaking out. Chaos ensues. They start praying to their gods, right, for something to happen, for their lives to be saved. Nothing is changing. They wake up Jonah and say, Jonah, you need to pray to your God. Pray to your God if you can to try to help us. And Jonah said, well, it's interesting because my God just happens to be the God who made the sea and the land. And they were like, well, definitely pray to your God. 
And then Jonah said, well, but I'm running from him. I'm running from him. <laughs> and they looked at Jonah and they were like, why would you do that? Why look at this mess? Why would you do that? And then Jonah told them this. Throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. And I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Throw me in the sea. Storm will stop because this is my fault. And God sent this storm to get my attention and to deal with me. And you guys are just kind of caught in the crosshairs of all this. So just throw me overboard. Now, at first they didn't. At first they continued to try to figure out another way to make this happen. And they did some things called casting lots and all this kind of ancient ritual type things. But eventually they determined, yep, Jonah is the reason for this. And they threw him overboard. After they threw him overboard, by the way, the scripture says in the Old Testament that they all turned towards God, that they threw Jonah overboard, the sea and the storm calmed, just like Jonah said it would, and they were so awestruck by what they had just witnessed, they turned their worship and attention to God, Jonah's God. And so Jonah found himself overboard because he had refused to do what God had asked him to do. Watch what happens next. Here's where it gets really odd, as if it hadn't gotten odd already. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now we're not sure if it was a whale. Uh, most people, when they tell this story, think of a whale. We have no reason to think that it wasn't a whale. Um, some people say, no, it was a big shark. Usually when a shark swallows you, you're dead. You know, a whale can, I guess, is so big and kind of roomy in there. It's like a small college apartment or something like that. Um, maybe it was a whale. We're not exactly quite sure, but it was a great fish. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Can you imagine what that would have been like, Right? <laughs> what did Jonah start doing? He started doing exactly what you would do and what I would do. He started crying out to the Lord for help. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, what did he pray? Well, he prayed, and we don't have time to read it all, but basically he began crying out to God, asking for forgiveness and saying, God, I'm aware of what I did here. And he said it very eloquently and worshipfully. He's just basically crying out, oh God, you got to help me here. And here's what happened next. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. <laughs> wow. I mean, think about this. Maybe get your mind around this. This is, this is Hollywood, right? This is like fantastic cinematography. This is special effects all over the place. So they throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by a great fish. He hangs out in this fish for three days and three nights. It must be stinky. It must be smelly. I mean, you tell this guy, he's praying. He's saying, God, I'm so sorry. Come crying out for forgiveness. And God says, okay, you've had a change of heart. And then God makes the fish sick on his stomach and he spits him out onto the beach. Can you imagine what Jonah must have been covered in and what Jonah must have smelled like and what he must have felt like? Wow, all of this because Jonah refused to do what God asked him to do. We'll come back to that. But at this point in the story, this is where the wheels kind of come off for a lot of people. It's just like, yeah, really? Come on, really? Is that, is that true? I mean, isn't that a little fantastic? I mean, certainly that didn't 
really happen. I mean, no intelligent person, no person with any type of rationale or reasoning capabilities can believe a fantastical story like this. Well, here's the deal. Jesus believed it. Jesus referred to what we just read as fact. Let's look at it. Matthew records in Matthew 12 that Jesus actually said, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man, referring to himself, be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now Jesus was referring to the time when he would be dead and then he would rise again. And he was saying it's going to be a lot like it was for Jonah. And he referred to Jonah as a matter of fact. He referred to Jonah as something that actually happened. So, I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel about these kinds of things, but the way I look at it, if Jesus refers to something that's true, as true, then I'd say we just go with Jesus. And so, as far-fetched and as tall of a fishtail as this may seem to you or me or to anyone else, if Jesus said, yep, this is the way it happened, then I'd just go with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go with Jesus on this one. So Jonah swallowed three days. He cried out for forgiveness. This fish spit him back up on the sea. And God came to Jonah a second time and said, Now, Jonah, are you ready to go to Nineveh? And this time Jonah was very ready to go to Nineveh. And so he did. We're not quite sure how long it took him to get there. We're not quite sure exactly you know, where he was when you know, all of this took place. But he eventually ended up in Nineveh, and he shared God's message with them. And he shared God's warning with them. And watch how the people of Nineveh responded. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Now, a couple of things. When, when Jonah shared God's message with them, you kind of wonder if he shared, you know, what just happened to him. You know, and I said, no, and God threw me into, you know, they threw me into the ocean, and God sent a fish, and three days and nights, and I don't know if he had seaweed hanging on him, if he still smelled like the inside of a whale or a big fish. You know, we're not quite sure if he shared what had happened to him, but he shared whatever he shared with such persuasiveness, they believed. And not only did they believe, they responded. Look at it, we just read it. And from the greatest to the least, from the most important person to the least significant person in town, they declared a fast, which is a religious ritual. We're going to stop eating and we're going to spend a time, instead of eating for this meal or eating for this meal, we're going to stop eating and give our full attention to prayer and worship. That's what a fast is about. And they put on burlap to show their sorrow. Now, I'm not sure of the fashion trends back then in 750 BC, but evidently burlap was not very much in style. And when you wore burlap, not only did you itch a lot, it communicated to everybody that you were a person in sorrow. If you wear burlap on a regular basis, you will be in sorrow because I'm sure it's very, very uncomfortable. But that kind of was the visual of them saying, not only are we fasting, we're going to give off the air and appearance of brokenness so they put on burlap. They were serious 
about this. Now watch what happens next. When God saw that they, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways and even changed the, you know, the way they dressed, <laughs> the burlap, God changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So God took note of the fact that they had taken his message seriously and decided, well, if they're going to change their minds, if they're going to change their ways, if they're going to respond to me and my message, then as a result, I will not carry out the destruction that would have been coming their way, are they not? And all kinds of questions that this brings up, and we'll dive into some of those in the coming weeks. But at this point, you were like, oh, great. Here's one of those great stories that just simply has a happy ending. The end, right? Nope. Not so fast, because watch what happens next. This change of plans, this change of God's plans, greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry at God specifically. So he complained to the Lord about it. We could stop right there and we'll come back to this uh, perhaps in the next couple of weeks and talk about the things we complain to the Lord about. You know, you ever complain to the Lord? I can't believe this and I can't believe that. And why did you and why haven't you? Yeah, I've done that. I think you've done it too. And this is what Jonah complained. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. So not only is he angry at God, he's actually blaming God for the whole trip to Tarshish and said, God, I knew, I knew you would do this. I knew you would do this. I knew this is the way it was going to go. God, you're so predictable. God, I, I, just, I just had a hunch that this was how all of this is go down. That's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh to begin with. That's why I wanted to go to Tarshish. That's why I wanted to go as far away from Nineveh as I could possibly get it. Get myself until here we go. Let's go. I knew. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God. I knew it. Slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn your back from destroying people. And then he just goes drama queen on God right here, right? Just tell me now, Lord. It's a little much, right? He says, I knew it. I knew what kind of God you were, and it, you could almost hear some uh, condescending, a little sarcasm. You're so merciful, God. You're so compassionate. You're so slow to get angry because, God, I was ready. I was ready for you to just zap them. I was ready for you to just strike them down. A lot of people think that's the kind of God God is. We'll get to that next week. He said, I knew it, that you were so eager you're always so eager to turn back from destroying people. And these people should have been destroyed, God. You know what? I'm so frustrated. I've had it. I'm done. I'm done as a prophet. Just kill me now. Just let me die. I'm done. And pretty much that's how the story ends. There's a few more details that will begin to unpack, but God asks him a question. A question that kind of leaves this open-ended. And it kind of wraps up the whole thing. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right, Jonah? Jonah, look at yourself. Jonah, look in the mirror. Jonah, Jonah, come to your senses. Jonah, do you realize how upset you are that I was merciful and compassionate to this group of people? 
Jonah, I get you were upset at them. Jonah, listen, I, I, I was frustrated with them as well. Jonah, I get it. I get it. They're, in your mind, they don't need to survive. They don't need to live. They need to be greatly punished. And yet, Jonah, I have decided to show them mercy. And Jonah, you're upset about that? Is it right that you would be upset that I would show them mercy? Like I said, it just kind of ends with this open-ended God just kind of putting this back on Jonah. And that's how the story ends. The people of Nineveh were saved, and Jonah is mad about it. (laughs) Now, we're going to stop the story right there as far as unpacking it anymore because that's what the next two weeks are for. In the next two weeks, what we're going to do is come back to a few moments in this story, and next week we're going to talk about What this tells us about God, what this story teaches us about who God is and what God is like. Because a lot of people have a misunderstanding about this. A lot of people think God is like this and God is like this. No, this story helps us understand who God is really like. And Jonah kind of had a hunch all along. And then the second week, week three of this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jonah and see just how much like Jonah I can tend to be, and you can tend to be, just how much like Jonah we can be if we're not careful. Being frustrated that God didn't let him have it. And what does that mean about our hearts? And you, you might be thinking, no, no, not me. No, no, I'm not like that. Oh, you might be surprised. You might be surprised as you watch television, watch the news, Listen to the reports of this happening and that happening and this crisis and that tragedy and that death and you hear this political candidate and that political candidate and and this issue and that issue and you watch, you pay attention to what you're thinking and how hmm, you just assume that God thinks like you. You just assume that God agrees with you and that God agrees with me and we get so frustrated when things don't go the way we think they should. Yep, in the next two weeks, we're going to talk about what this story teaches us about God and what it teaches us about ourselves. But in the last few minutes we have together, here's what I want to do. We've just kind of gone back through the story. We have a pretty good idea of the ebb and flow of what happened. But one of the big takeaways, just right up front, is like Jonah stiff-arming God. God saying, this is what I want you to do, and Jonah like, no, I don't want to do that. Now I'm going to do the opposite of that. Actually, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to get as far away from what you want me to do as I possibly can. So what I want to do is leave us with a couple of questions that I want you to be thinking through in the next few days, that I've been challenging myself to think through and to work through, because there's a lot here, more than meets the eye. Here's a couple of questions. Here's question number one. What does God want you to do that you are refusing to do. What does God want you to do that you're basically going Jonah on God going, no, no, no. Or another way to say it is, where are you or how are you saying no to God? Now, if you're like most people and like me a lot of times, your first response is, well, I don't do that. I don't do that. I mean, you'd be crazy to tell God no. Nobody tells God no. Nobody in the right mind tells God no. I mean, what was Jonah thinking? Jonah got what was coming to him. Yeah. No, not me. I don't do that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. Stop and think about it. What are you refusing to do 
that deep down you know God wants you to do? What does God want you to do that you're just refusing to do? It may not be something quite as drastic as what Jonah was being asked to do, right? Go to another city and tell them they need to change the way that they're living. Now, it's probably not anything quite that big. It's probably more subtle. But here, here's what I think. I think deep down, you probably already have a hunch. Perhaps you know that there are things in the word of God, the things that Jesus taught that are not a part of your life. And you know you should be doing things a certain way or treating people a certain way or having this a part of your life or not having this a part of your life. And you, you know when you look at the scriptures, when you look into the Bible, which we, we look to, you look at that and you know, that's yeah, not me. No, I know I'm not doing that. You see, there you've identified something that God wants you to do that you're refusing. Or maybe you just got this hunch because you know that the Holy Spirit of God has helped you see a certain area of your life that needs attention or a certain thing in your life that needs your attention that you're just stiff-arming. Maybe it's something you know you need to do or something you need to stop doing. Maybe it's a conversation that you know you need to have with someone and you've been avoiding it. You know that it's a God-honoring thing. You know that it's honoring to God to talk to them about this. You know it's honoring to them and their relationship and respect as a human being for you to have a direct one-on-one -on -one conversation with them about this, but you're avoiding it. Maybe it's a decision that you know you need to make, a choice that you know you need to make. And you're still deliberating. You, you still say it to everybody else. Well, I'm still praying about it. And I'm still praying. I'm still praying. You know the decision you need to make. And you're stalling. Maybe stalling for a, you know, a feeling to change. or But you just know what you need to do. Could it be there's a change you know you need to make? And it may have something to do with a relationship. It may have something to do with your job, what God wants you to do that you're refusing to do. Hey, listen, it may have something to do, and a lot of times it has something to do with money. You know how God wants you to handle money, how God would have you uh, manage what really belongs to him, that he's allowed you to borrow for this stint of time on this earth, money, finances. You know how he wants you to handle it, but you're refusing to handle it that way. Yeah, see, this is getting a lot closer to home, right? Or, or could it be that it's your schedule and your plans? You know, like when you look at your schedule and your plans, you should prioritize this over that and that over this, that it would be honoring to God. What is it that God wants you to do that you're refusing? Let's ask a second question to, to kind of bring this home a little bit more. Is there any area in your life that you have decided is off limits to God? And this is a little more pointed. Think about it. Is there any area of your life where either directly or indirectly, you've basically told God, hands off, don't touch that. That's mine. He said, well, no, no, of course not. I mean, that's crazy. Who would do that? Who would do that? Who would tell God, this is off limits to you? I mean, because he's God. I mean, Jonah got what was coming to him. Whoa, 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 wait, think, think, think carefully. You know how this often shows up? 
how we kind of quarantine parts of our lives and section off parts of our lives and categorize parts of our lives where we want God to be a part of this, but we don't want God to be a part of that because we know if we want God to be a part of that, we'll have to make some changes. And we're refusing to do what we know God wants us to do, so we're kind of creating categories and places where it's okay for God to go. It's like when you have people over to your house, you know, part of it's clean and part of it's not clean, and there's certain parts, it's okay for them to go in here and go in here, but there's that door, that room is closed, and that room is closed because you don't want anybody going there because it's a mess, right? It's kind of like that in our lives. You, you've got sections of your life that you have kind of put some yellow tape over, and it's like, no, that's a hazard area in there. God, I don't want you to go in there. This shows up a lot of times when we bargain with God. Yeah, and we bargain with God a lot. Right? It could be that you say, God, you know what? I'm going to give you one hour every weekend. I mean, on Sunday morning, or maybe you go to church on Thursday night, and so it's not really on the weekend, but you find a time. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to try to never miss. And when I can't be there, I'm going to watch online. And when there's a pandemic, we're all going to watch online, right? Okay, so God, I'm going to give it. But, but God, that's, that's yours. Make sure I get that right. But the week is mine. How I spend the rest of my week is mine, right? That one hour a week, God, I'll, I'll give that to you. I'll give that to you. And I'll come focus on you, but the rest 167 hours of the week are mine. Maybe you haven't come right out and said that, but is that not the way we live often? Maybe you've bargained with God and said, God, you know what? I'll give, I'll give and honor you financially, but I I won't serve. I'll give instead of serving. And I know serving is what Jesus did, and I know that we're called to serve, and I get that, and it's just, okay, maybe that's something that I should do. I know, I know, I know what the Bible says. I know, I know, pastor, I know, I know. But I tell you what, this season of life is just not good for me, so I'm going to give. I'm going to give instead of serving. Or what a lot of people do, and sometimes more than that, they'll say, you know what? I'm not going to give, okay, because, man, things are tight, and I'm not going to give because money is mine, and I'm not going to give because, you know, you never know when the next pandemic is going to hit and things are going to get tight. But what I'll do is serve. I'll serve instead of give. I'll serve. God, here's the deal. I'll cut you a deal. I'm not going to give, and I can't give like some people give, and I can't give like, Lord, you know my heart. You, I can't give the way I want to give, so I'll serve. And so we bargain with God because we have this off limits. Serving's off limits. Giving's off limits. The week is off limits. Or maybe we do this, you say, God, you know what? At home, I want you to be the center of my home. I, I want us to have a, a Jesus-centered home. But the office, that's a different world. It's dog-eat-dog dog at the office. You know, at the office, man, I got to get what's mine. I, I, you know, I, I want to serve at home, but not the office. No, I don't know about serving anybody. It's kind of like I do things my own way. Have you, have you bargained with God? Like, God, I want you in the middle of this relationship, but this relationship over here, uh, you don't understand. God, you, you can't really be in this relationship, okay? It's a work relationship, or it's a relationship that my husband doesn't know about, that my wife doesn't know about. Um, God, so you, I need you to look the other way for that relationship. But this relationship over here, yeah, God, is there anything off limits? And, and look, what are the consequences for refusing to do what you know God wants you to do? What are the consequences for marking off an area of your life that's off limits to God. What are the consequences? Because there's always consequences. Not because God is mean. That's just life. There's always consequences. When we refuse to do what we ought to do. When we mark things in our life off limits to God. And maybe you know the consequences are coming and you've decided to take your chances. 
I think if Jonah were to talk to you and me today, he would say, no, 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 no. Now, there's something fishy about this. <laughs> I think if Jonah were to speak to us, he would warn us and say, guys, guys, not because God's mean, not because God's a wrathful, mean, grumpy old troll that lives under a bridge kind of God, because he's not. And Jonah knew it. But Jonah says, you know what? The consequences are too great for you and for other people. See, consider, and we'll look at this a little bit later on. Had Jonah not gone, had Jonah still refused, it could have gotten a lot worse for Jonah. And what would have happened to all those people in Nineveh? Yeah. Have you considered the consequences? And if you've decided to just take your chances, you don't know what you're missing and you don't know what you're giving up and you don't know where this might lead. These are questions that need an answer. And you might need to begin by asking God to show you. If you don't know, ask God to show you. God, what do you want me to do that I'm refusing to do? God, help me see areas of my life that I've marked off limits to you. Doors that I've shut that I've said, I don't want you to go in that room. Don't go in that room. This room is fine. But okay, God, show me. God, I'm asking you. And I believe he will show you. In fact, let's ask him together. Father, we thank you for the story of Jonah. And that here now, 3,000, almost 3,000 years later, we're reflecting back on something that is so applicable. And yes, the fantastic parts of it, the amazing parts of it, the storm and the fish and the three days and all of that is just, wow. But we thank you for telling us all those details so we can get a glimpse of who you are and who we are. And Father, I ask that you would show me what you want me to do that I'm refusing. I ask that you would show me what areas of my life, maybe without even realizing, I have marked off limits to you and help me to consider the consequences. Not out of fear and being scared, but out of concern and honor and out of love to you and others. Father, show us all. And help us to learn more about you through the story of Jonah. And in the coming weeks, help us to learn more about ourselves through the story of Jonah. And help us to begin considering these things with these questions. May we not refuse to do what we know you want us to do. And may we not mark any area of our life off limits to you. In Jesus' name, amen.